Dr. Luis Sandoval is accomplished in the fields of mental health and spiritual warfare. A medical doctor, board certified in neurology, psychiatry, and family medicine, he is also a psychiatrist for the Roman Catholic Diocese of Orange Ministry of Healing and Deliverance. Now, Dr. Luis Sandoval. All right. Well, welcome to the Dr. Luis Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. To all of our listeners, I wish you a great day. Thank you for joining us. And as always, since we are on Virgin Most Powerful Radio and we want to share our Catholic faith, why don't we start with a prayer? We're going to start with a Hail Mary. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, listeners, today we have a great show. You know, I always enjoy interacting, and I always say this show is not just uh, for us to share our faith, but it's really for us to share about each other, about our lives, and how our faith really impacts our lives, because that's really what it comes down to. You know, the whole purpose of following our faith, following our religion, wanting to learn more about Christ, is really because it's going to let us know how we live our lives. Part of living our lives really is forming families, and I get a lot of joy from interacting with our listeners, from reading your emails and your comments. A lot of the comments that I get are from family members, though, when it comes to, as we know, we're here in the clinic, we're talking about mental health, physical health, spiritual health. And when it comes to mental health, a lot of my listeners, especially parents, ask me, what's going on with my kids? Where did I go wrong? What happened in terms of, you know, I thought I raised my kids well. I thought I taught them the faith. I wanted them to go in the right path. And all of a sudden, as they get older, they're making their own decisions. And sure, it sure doesn't seem like what I was hoping that they would make. And then on top of that, what do I do if my child has mental illness? Well, today I have a very special show because I do have a guest with us. It's one of our uh, listeners here with Virgin Most Powerful Radio uh, when, uh, who reached out to me and wanted to share their story. And uh, we're going to call this listener Denise for anonymity's sake. And Denise is here with us. Denise, are you there? I am here. Yes. And Denise reached out to me because she had questions and she said, you know, I want to know what's going on with my family. There's things I want to share. There's things I want to think about um, in terms of our faith. And how do I uh, deal with this? What is it that I do? Uh, Denise, share with me a little bit about why you wanted to reach out and what was your concern? What was heavy on your heart? It dealt with one of my children, my oldest. He is an alcoholic and he goes through sessions where he's fine, he gets a job, he's very productive, he's great personality, and then all of a sudden he falls off the deep end with, with uh, drinking, and he's getting older now. My concerns were was, how long does this continue? How long will I have to deal with this? That is a, you know, what a wonderful question, because the the reality is you're saying, you know, this is what started, he started going down this path and I see him go back and forth. Now, this is very, very challenging because a lot of a lot of our parents out there might relate to this. You mentioned something very important. You said, you know, he'll go through periods where he's doing well and then all of a sudden there's a relapse. What does that do for you? What does that back and forth do for you as a mom when you see that happening? Well, you feel like you're on a roller coaster. <clears throat> Unfortunately, I had the experience with, with his father I was married for 12 years, and his father, later, we, I realized he was an alcoholic and was bipolar. So I don't know if it was inherited, but he has the same qualities. And you're on a roller coaster, and you can't let that control your emotions because one day everything is fine, you're happy, the family is wonderful, and the next day everything's crashed. 
You know, definitely things to think about. And so let's back up a little bit because you bring up something important for our listeners, Um, not just our parent listeners, but our young listeners as well. You mentioned, you know, I don't know if this is something inherited because I look at what his father was like and I see what he's like and I see some similar traits in there. Would you say that your husband was alcoholic or that he had similar uh, personality traits? What do you think? I think just from what I know and my own investigating that he was and is a drug addict, but his his choice of drug has changed over the years. Whether it was alcohol at one point when we were married, it was prescription drugs. Uh, the last time I heard, he's doing something else that has to do with drugs. So it's just um, he's got that dependency. And this is your ex-husband? Yes. Yeah, and so we cannot underestimate the fact that we now know in science that certain things are heritable and certain addictions, certain ways that the brain is going to work, we can pass it on to our kids. We know this very commonly with alcoholism. We see that. We see that parents are alcoholics and their kids become alcoholics. And we say there's something in the brain. We haven't exactly pinpointed the gene, shall we say, but we do know that there is something there where we can pass this on. And so we always warn people, you know, if your parent is, uh, uh, tends to have alcoholism or you notice that they have certain traits, I really want you to watch that for yourself because you might find yourself in that situation. I used to teach high school my, uh, myself and I used to uh, tell my kids who might say my kids, my students at the time, um, I used to warn them about if you go to parties and you think it's really cool to drink and guess what? Guess who you are really emulating or who you think is the best person is the person who can drink the most and have the best time and doesn't seem to get drunk. That's actually the person I'm most worried about because the more somebody can drink and supposedly tolerate it, the greater the tendency they're going to have to have an alcoholic addiction. So this is something that's important to consider um, in our families. It's a great point you make, Denise, where we say, who are the parents? Do they have any traits to begin with that would have uh, manifested in the child? Right. Well, and I think it's something, because you have all ages listeners, when a young man or a young woman, they're dating, they need to look at that. You date to mate as a Catholic. You don't just date for fun. You want to see who's the person. Mm-hmm. Is God calling you to be married, to be single, to, to go into a vocation as a priest or a sister? So you need to look at that person. And it's not just, oh, how they are now. It's the future. And it is their family. You don't marry just that person. You marry the whole family. You were reading my mind because that was the next point I was going to make. The first point is, you know, we're going to talk about kids and what is it that I'm looking at? Why is my kid this way? I got to look at my spouse. But you're reading my mind because really at, at the end of the day, I got to make that decision before I even get married. You know, a lot of times we, you know, as we're kids, we fall in love. There's that great sense of infatuation of nothing's going to stop us. Our love is going to be enough, but we need to really consider and take a step back when I realize this person is great, but guess what? Is this who I want to be the father of my kids? And do I want my children to potentially have the traits that this person has? Right. And not only that, I know a lot of young ladies, myself included, where you have the mentality of, well, I can change him. And I don't know if guys go through that. Maybe they do. But a lot of women, oh, yeah, that's just a minor thing. I can change that. That'll change as he gets older. And it's not true. I think this is very true. I mean, this is very important because I think what we go through is uh, we go through the phase of, well, when we're married, 
you know, oh, right now, yeah, you know, this is happening, this is happening. But when we're married, it'll be different because it'll just be us. But you brought, you brought up something very important. You don't just marry the person. You actually marry the whole family. So this is why it's so important as you're courting, before you even have children, before we even get to that point of questioning what's going on with our kids, as we're courting, as we're dating, as we're getting to know the person, it's so important to get to know not just their quirks, but what are their family's quirks because that's bringing that, they're bringing that into the relationship. Right. And you want to spend time that I know people say, oh, it was love at first sight. Well, sometimes you need to spend time. And when people tell you, when the church says you have to enter um, into, you know, contacting the church and wait six months before you even set a date, that there's truth in that. There's there's wisdom in that because you don't know a person right away in time. tends to tell you how that person really is. Absolutely. You know, that's, and that's one of the biggest things that we don't have nowadays, right? We're talking about technology and what we do. We want answers right now. If I order something online, I want it to come to my house tomorrow. If I, you know, text somebody and they don't reply within 30 seconds, well, what's going on? I need it right now. And we forget that there is really a lot of wisdom and a lot of growth and maturing that happens if we just take a step back and give things time. You know, Denise, one of the, one of the best pieces of, of advice I ever got, uh, th- and this was just when I was kind of dating, I think I was in college, and um, uh, somebody who was working at the church, she uh, was there, I was, working, I was working at our church, at our front office, and, and there was a lady who was working there as well. And the best thing that she ever told me, the best thing I ever heard was, just because you're in love with somebody doesn't mean that they're the right person for you. Right. That's so true. Because in your life, you fall in love with people, uh, different types of relationships. And I, I, to me, when I look back, because I have a wide range of friends in age, and I see a lot of older people where they started out as best friends. They never, ever thought they would ever get married. And that tends to be the like best marriages. Uh, friends of mine that were in a youth group together or they met each other at church and they stayed close that way as friends. Uh, they, they are the ones who ultimately got married and their, their marriages have been strong because it's not all about the physical. It's not, it's about being, uh, having common interests. I think the number one thing in marriage is your faith. I really do believe that because I've seen so many marriages struggle, uh, especially if one of the spouses moves away from the church, they're not interested anymore. Everything else seems to fall apart. You know, that is so true. I heard a speaker one time talking about politics. He was uh, he was talking about politics and, and different things that were going on and different uh, policies and whatnot. And one of the things he was talking about was relationships. And he said, if you don't have the same political background, if you don't have the same political views, you're probably not going to make it into a relationship. I think what you're saying is even more powerful. If you don't have the same faith base, how in the world are you going to share a true marriage, a sacramental marriage? Exactly. Because in a marriage, every decision you make should come from how, what the church teaches us right at the very beginning, uh, in terms of uh, how many children you want. I, I I remember being an engaged encounter and this it was, uh, we were six couples and we had to right then and there discuss things in front of everyone. And I remember a couple where she just assumed, you never should assume, but she assumed that they were going to have a lot of children. And he just said, I don't want children. There was a silence in the room. You could hear a pin drop. She was, she was in shock. She, they had never spoken about that. And yet they weren't on the same page and they ultimately did not get married. 
you know, and this is true. These are the precursors to really seeing how a marriage is going to go. And really, how are we going to raise the kids together if we can't decide, if we can't think on the same uh, lines? How are we going to know how to raise our kids in the same way? Very important topic. More when we come back, we're going to talk about kids, raising them in the church, and how to keep them in the faith. All right, welcome back, listeners, to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today we have a great show. We're talking about family, kids, and how do we raise a family in the faith, and what happens when things don't go uh, our way? Where do we seek help, and what do we do? We have our special guest, our listener, Denise, um, who is with us sharing her story. You know, one of the things we were talking about before the break was, in, as, if we're going to talk about kids, we can't start really talking about how to raise the kids if we don't talk about how do we even get married? How do we meet a mate? Who are we raising the kids with? And it's so important to really get to know who I'm raising the children with or who, or if, even if they want to have kids. As Denise was telling us, you were telling us about a couple at your engagement encounter who realized right then and then when they were in the retreat that one wanted to have kids and the other never did. And that marriage did not work out. Exactly. And that's one of the main things you need to speak about, um, how to raise your children, uh, how many you're going to have. And of course, through our faith, we, we're blessed with natural family planning. We can always uh, work on that and know how many children. And uh, but you know, ultimately, it's it's you pray about it together. It's it's uh, something that you do as a couple. You don't just make a decision. Well, I'm going to have X amount of children. It's got to be what God you know leads you to do. I think that's so important. I think it's important to realize as we are thinking about getting married, we're engaged, we're thinking about, you know, actually being in the sacrament of marriage that we not only talk about each other, it's so easy to talk about how much I love you and what I think about you, but really how are we going to raise the kids? Because I think about in terms of, let's say that there is a couple who really hasn't discussed, uh, do I want to have kids or not want to have kids? And let's say that the man really want to have, wants to have kids and the woman doesn't. And what's to say, what's going to stop her from having an abortion if she gets pregnant or something along those lines? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and so it's, it's something to think about. This is why we have to have these conversations because especially gentlemen, you know, if you're out there, you want to know that you are part of parenting. We forget sometimes how important the father is, this being the year of St. Joseph. I'm always putting a little plug for St. Joseph in my shows. Uh, we forget how important the father figure is in the marriage. Denise, you were telling me about how you had a difficulty with, with your spouse and what did that do for your kids or your marriage? It, it had a terrible effect on all of us. Uh, it, Part of it was I tried to stick with it. We continued to, I pushed to go to couples counseling. Mm -hmm. We tried three different times with a priest, with a sister, with a lay person. And each time after a few sessions, they would say that he needed counseling on his own. But I wasn't privy to that. And I wasn't told why. And I understand that with confidentiality. But he would not open to me what was going on. And so I, as a good Catholic and someone who was driven, I was always a, a student, a good student and wanted to be the best mom, the best wife. I didn't want to give up the marriage. And I kept trying and trying until finally I realized I was doing more harm than good. How so? How did you, why did you feel you were doing more harm? At um, because we were in a situation which uh, I don't know how often it happens, but there was physical abuse. Sure. I'm and, um, I put up with it when it was uh, just against me, but when it filtered over to my children and I tried to do things where I was always with them and things wouldn't happen. But after a while, you're thinking, why am I staying in this situation? This is not a healthy situation. And I had to think if a friend came to me 
and was in my situation, what would I tell her? And I would tell her, get out of there. And eventually I did. And it's so hard because, you know, on the outside looking in, normally we think, oh my gosh, that would never happen to me. And if I were ever in that situation, boy, I would get out right away. But once we find ourselves in that situation, it's a little bit more complicated, isn't it? It is. And sometimes even after people found out, you know, uh, about the separation and that sort of thing, they had a hard time believing what had happened. Sure. And because you see these people, you see them at church, you see them out in the street, they're very jovial. They're very, you know, oh, look, that's a nice couple with all these kids, but they don't really know what goes on behind closed doors. It teaches us not to have rash judgment, which is a terrible sin to have. Well, let me ask you this, and let let me, uh, not that you would know, but looking back, it's very interesting that you told me you guys went to couples counseling, and the the counselors would tell you, you know, he, he really needs help on his own, aside from couples counseling. It's more than just about the couple at this point. Now, there's something going on with him. Looking back, would, can you speculate? Can you tell us what do you think was missing for him? What do you think that they were, uh, why were they suggesting this? What did he need to work on? He had, uh, he had lied to me during the courtship. Uh, I remember meeting him uh, at church and he telling me, oh, I, I don't drink alcohol. And I thought, oh, thank goodness. Because for me, that was a big deal. My brother and I, we grew up where our parents owned bars and restaurants. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they always say when you're in that environment with a lot of people who drink and are alcoholics, you either become one yourself or you go all the way the other way. You become a teetotaler. Sure. Both my brother, my brother and I are like that. We don't drink at all. And so that was a big thing for me. I said, oh, good. This is another thing that's going to work. Well, after we were married, I found out within three months that he not only drank, he was a drug addict. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. And this did not come up at all during the courtship or anything like that? But we only dated for a year. Okay. And I remember going to my parish priest, and he said, okay. And his only stipulation was that was that. He be make his confirmation. That was his concern because he had not made his confirmation. But his parents are very involved at the church. That's how I met him. And so I thought, oh, good, you know, a Catholic. You know, I was checking the boxes, you know, uh, healthy, uh, good looking. You know, you can't overlook that. Oh, it's got to be chemistry. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly. Chemistry. And wanted a lot of children. That was, I, you know, when I was Check younger, I thought 12 would be a good number of kids and you know, during the, the courtship, we came up with, well, let's be open to maybe six children. Sure. You know, whatever God sends us as much as we could handle. Kind sure, of thing. sure, sure. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because you would think, you know, a year, that sounds like a pretty solid time for courtship. That sounds like I've been with this person for a year. And and it wasn't a long distance relationship, shall we say. No, no. In fact, I remember what, we would see each other basically every day. And one day, Uh, We didn't have any reason why we would see each other. And I kind of thought, oh, wow, it's kind of weird. I'm not talking with him. I'm not seeing him. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to drive over to his parents' house and, you know, visit with the family and with him. And I drove over there and his mom and dad were there and they started laughing. They said, 
he got on his bike and went to your house. And uh, sure enough, I called my house and my mom said, yeah, he's here visiting. I was like, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. It sounds like there was definitely a positive connection. We can't say that there, that there was 100% negativity or you would have gone out of it. But this is because this is what I was going to ask you. You were together for a year. There was definitely a strong connection there. There was some love there. There was something there that had you stay with him uh, during that year. He must have been charming. He must have been, like you said, he was good looking. Yes. I guess my question is looking back. Were there any, because it's interesting that you mentioned, gosh, as soon as you got married, you find out that not only does he drink a lot of alcohol, but he is also addicted to drugs. You're with him for a whole year. It never really came up or it didn't seem like he was doing it. Looking back, were there any signs that he could have been doing this that you might have missed it? No, but there were red flags that have nothing to do with that, that a girl needs to see or a guy. For Uh, example, when it was time to send out wedding invitations, Mm -hmm. I had this humongous list of people and he just had his immediate family, ah. no friends. I thought, well, that's odd. Don't you think that's odd for someone? And we weren't very young. I was 20, uh, 29 when I got married. He was 27. So we were close in age. And I had a lot of friends from church, friends I grew up with, uh, you know, friends in the community from my work. And he just, he had like the neighbor across the street. That was a red flag right there. Well, you bring up a very important point, and we use the term red flags, and you know that that does sound like a red flag. You know the person for a year, you want to have a, a wedding, you're so happy, and it turns out he's really only stuck to his immediate uh, circles. Now, we can say that there's some close families out there. There's some families who are very tight-knit or people who are a little bit more introverted who don't necessarily reach out much, but if, he, if you don't know that he has a healthy social life uh, where he can interact with other people, that could be a red flag, especially if, if you know him well. I um, mean, you think, you know, something doesn't really, it's not compatible uh, with the way I know him to be and him having this uh, almost like a deficit, if you will. You know, when we talk about red flags, those are the things that we brush off. And this is how I would say if anybody's dating, if you see a red flag, those are the things that we kind of say, well, when we're married, it'll be different or they'll change that or it's really not that big a deal. What do you think about red flags, Denise? I think that... You have to hear them from other people. And sometimes if you're blind to it, you, don't, you won't listen to them. You'll make excuses. You make every excuse out of the, in, you know, in the book. Uh, the other thing was that, and I look back on this, it was that because I was 29, um, in my culture, it was my father would always introduce me. This is my daughter. She's an old maid. Ah. And now in today's society, 29 is about when young ladies are getting married a lot in their late 20s. But in my father's generation, if you weren't married, you know, right out of high school, something was the matter. So he would push that. And I think that that was I look back on that and I thought that was definitely something I should have been okay with. Um, And also before meeting him, I was looking at entering the convent. I was looking at different orders sure. and I was looking into that, doing retreats and that sort of thing. And I didn't quite find the right order for myself. So I kind of, you kind of feel pressured when you get a certain age as a woman. Men, I don't think have that pressure, but I think women do. So there's different reasons too why we need to look at why am I really getting married? Is it because I really love this person or is it because I feel like it's the thing to do? Is it because I feel like, well, I'm old enough and it's the time? I don't know that those are always good reasons, right? When we look back, it's not about marriage. We got to understand marriage as a covenant, not as a romantic Hollywood movie type where two people meet and all of a sudden life is perfect because they always show a happy ending, but you're right. That's not where the marriage starts. I usually tell people, you know, the marriage doesn't really start until the infatuation is over. 
you know, when all the, when you see all the, all the puppet strings, when all the heightened emotions of love are now, you know, more peaceful, I think, and you look at this person, you're like, oh, wow, this is just the person and I just get to know them. I think that that's really where the marriage starts. Exactly. Exactly. And you have to, I don't know, there's, there's, you have to listen to people. You know, some people will give you bad advice, but when people keep giving you the same advice from different angles, you need to to stop and say, why are they saying this? Yeah, if you're hearing it more than once, uh, that is something to consider. And I think if nothing else, I think it's important to consider not just for ourselves, but this is really where I tell people, take a step back, look at who it is that you're going to marry. I'm glad that you're in love with them and that you feel that they're great. Is this who you want to be the mother or the father of your children? Right. And the other thing is a lot of people don't look at the educational levels of the person. I'm not saying everyone has to have the same degree, but you have to have that love for learning because that that's important when you're raising your children. If you're okay with your child doing a, a minimum and the other person isn't, that's going to be a problem. So I know recently a, a young man that is, is uh, dating and a friend said, wow, you know, she's going to school again. That might that might be a reason for them to separate because she's going to more advanced degree in, in the medical field and he's not. And I said, well, if he supports her and he does that journey with her, and you know, there's not a problem there. But there is one if someone is very, they want to read and they want to talk about issues and the other person doesn't have an interest in that, that could be a big problem. That's absolutely right because the, one of the things you need to consider is I need to have conversations with this person. Do they have the same intellectual interest? Do they have the same intellectual drive? And if I want to advance my career, if I find academic degrees important to me, and it's probably something I'm going to find important for my children, are they going to encourage my children to also go in that path if that's something that's important. You know, these are all so such important topics to consider. We're gonna consider now when we come back, what does this mean for our children? We think we find the right spouse. We look for these characteristics. What does this mean in terms of how am I gonna raise my children and what are my children gonna be like? More when we come back. All right, listeners, welcome back to Virgin Most Powerful Radio. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show, and I am Dr. Sandoval, your host. Today we have our special guest, Denise, who is sharing her story with us. We're talking about marriage, family, raising children, and what to expect. How can we do this in a more Christian way? I'd like to read a Bible verse, Psalm 127, verse 3. Uh, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Denise, what do you think about that, that Bible verse? It's so true. They are a gift, but we need to treat them like a gift. We always have to put love first for our children. And that's not saying, oh, they can do whatever they want or, you know, it's always with love in mind, everything that we do for them. And sometimes parents do things that they think is best for their child, and it has nothing to do with love or or nurturing their their religious uh you know, what they feel about God, it pushes them through worldly things. And that's a bad thing, too. Sure. No, absolutely. I mean, I think as parents, we usually say that one, that we know there was no parental manual. I think the only parental manual is the Bible. If we want to think about that, it's like, how do I be a good parent? Well, read your Bible, because if you stay in your faith, I think you're, God's going to let you know how to raise a child. He might give you inspiration as to what to say. But you're right. Sometimes we push kids in a certain way. What, what was that like for you? Well, my, uh, my husband at the time, he was very much into sports, mm -hmm. so he pushed the children into sports, but they were so busy all the time, 
sometimes it's good if you have children who are hyper and they want to they need to get out that energy but you have to have you have to find a balance and family time has always needs to come before the sports and all of that it really does i think in our society you tend to everything your child wants to try you sign them up for it and then uh, it takes away from family time. I think that's a, that's a really good point because I think that when we're getting married, a lot of times we, uh, and we think about having children, sometimes we don't think about having a family. And we can make that distinction in terms of, I can look at somebody and say, I really love this person. I think I love them so much. I want to marry them. I want to have children with them. But it seems like checkoff boxes. I don't think that we have that sense in society anymore about you're going to marry this person and you have to be a family, spend time as a family. What do you think about that? I see with families, those that do spend a lot of time together, they tend to have stronger bonds. And it's not like you have to do something with the family. You can be together. I think a lot of times, though, families go the other way. They spend a lot of time, but they're not engaged with each other. They have the television on or they're watching a sporting event and they're not interacting with each other. That There's a danger. The strongest thing a family can do is to go to church together because then that continues. After they leave the liturgy, they they, they live the liturgy. They uh, they can talk about the readings. They can apply it. They can say, you know what Father was saying? Why don't we try that? Or why don't we do that? Or here's a good uh, service project that we can do so we can you know, teach our children the corporal works of mercy. It, it can be revolved around our, our faith. And to me, that's the strongest family life is when you revolve it around your faith. You know, that, that really reminds me of another Bible verse, uh, Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Yes, absolutely. I, even my, my grown children, sometimes they'll tell me something that they've done. And I think, well, they think, oh, yeah, look what I did. And it's like, don't you remember? That's what we tra- taught you to do when you were little. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, so, you know, and you bring up another good point because spending time together as a family nowadays, everybody could say, yeah, we're spending time together with the family. We're in the house. But who has an iPad, a phone, a computer, a television, all in their own rooms? They're, it's kind of like they're in the same place, but they're so far apart. Right. And I think that affects later in life. That affects families because if you're used to always texting the person that you're dating or you're date, you know, then when you're face to face, it's a different dynamic. And you can't read uh, someone's face when you're texting. Emojis don't count. It's, it's going too digital. And that's, that's a big issue, too. We have to, our children learn to speak the way we speak, to communicate the way we communicate. My youngest son, He'll be in line somewhere and start talking to someone, and then he'll extend his hand and say hi, you know, and he introduces himself because I do that. And I'll have people say, how do you know so many people? Because I won't just talk to them. I'll get their name. You never know when you're going to meet that person again. If they said anything that you feel prayer could help, you keep them in prayer that evening. Uh, that's important as Catholics. You always want to be in tune with someone because you never know when you something you say or something you do can help another person. It's interesting you say that because a lot of times the different people I see in clinic, different patients that'll come to me, and whenever it comes time to talking about relationships, let's say that they're single and they're looking to date and they're trying to meet different people, and these are people of all ages, so common now is that people do online dating. 
And the most common thing that happens, the, the thread that I see happen over and over is that people say, you know, we were talking, it seemed so funny. We were writing messages back and forth. It was all through the computer, of course, because it's all online dating. It's through websites or apps or whatnot. And they get down and they say, yeah, we're going to meet for dinner. I'm so nervous. They meet for dinner and they say, it was like a whole different person. There was no chemistry there. We didn't click. Exactly. Well, you know, a lot to do when we were with someone, and I think there have been all studies on this, but the person, the way they smell, sure, the, all of that has to do with the, the relationship. And that's why couples tend to be close to each other. You That all filters in. When you're doing it uh, electronically, all that goes out the window. You don't have that bond. That's right. I mean, you have to be present. I think you there's something that's missed if you're not present with each other. I think that that's what we describe the chemistry, right? And there's so many things going on on a subconscious level we don't even realize that it can't compare to reading a book or reading a website. When you're with somebody, so many things are going up subconscious, just like you said, smells, the way the person, their inflection of their voice, the little uh, different faces that they make, the way that they smile, the way that they turn, the way that they move their hands, all these things cannot be translated into an electronic app. Right. And you know what I, I, I notice sometimes? Certain children, when they imitate their parents, they tend to be more centered, those children. They tend to have, they tend to have more of a sense of what life is about. And you can watch them, and they're so much like their parents. All children should be like that, because that means they're paying attention and there's a bond. Yeah, and this is so important to talk about because I know that we're talking about marriage and family and dating. And initially we said, you know, the show is really about raising children, but this is where it starts. When we meet somebody and we think, I'm going to raise a family with this person, I want to get married to this person, and we're going to be in the same household, we're going to start to blend. My quirks are going to blend with their quirks, and that's the way it should be. As, as we form a family, we should really uh, kind of be unnoticeable from each other in terms of people shouldn't be able to distinguish us too much after a while and be able to realize, wow, that family moves as a unit. They have the same characteristics. They have the same uh, look in their face. They, they laugh at the same jokes. I think that's very healthy, and this is why it's so important when we are dating or picking somebody that we understand that's the kind of bond we're going to form. Right. You know, it's funny because uh, as an older person, uh, you do notice when couples are together for many years, they start to look alike and act right. alike. <laughs> they do. They do. And sometimes, you know, and we say, oh, you need to communicate and to be, be together. But sometimes after a while, they don't even have to say anything. They're just sitting together and they know exactly what's going on with the other person. Exactly. Exactly. Like um, sometimes after mass, uh, before the pandemic, you know, uh, a friend, she would uh, tell her husband, uh, let's go to breakfast. And sometimes he'd say yes. And then she'd say, no, he doesn't really want to go. And sometimes he'd say yes. And she'd say, oh yeah, he wants yeah. to go. How can <laughs> you tell? She, I could tell, you know. <laughs> it's the same scenario, right? You start to get to know each other. And I think that that's really what it means that you know each other intimately. Right. You know, when we hear the word intimate in society, we always think that there's a physical uh, connection. We always think that there's something along those lines. But really to know somebody intimately means to really have that sense of who they are without them even really saying much. Right. I, Okay, so again, my many years of living, sometimes the most intimate relationships I've ever had were non-physical, uh, were just really good friends, whether it was a, a guy or a girl, you just get to know that person because sometimes, I, I really think the whole physical thing is just reserved for marriage, it really is. And so when you have that 
that intimacy with someone, it means so much more than the physical. It I really think, does. I think you're right. And I think that the reason that the church in its wisdom reserves the intimacy, physical intimacy for marriage is because in society right now, is like, as they say, we're putting the cart before the horse. You know, we're talking about intimacy so much and it's in your face and it's on advertisements and, you know, it sells products. But the reality is intimacy has to happen before the physical. Right. And as a couple, you can demonstrate that to your children. If they see that, that, you know, when you're sitting there, you look at each other, you, uh, you know, you have those glances and that smile and your discussion, the way you speak to each other, that's teaching a child how to be intimate with someone because what you're doing. And that's the other thing to consider. We forget that we are 100% all the time teaching our children without even necessarily talking to them. We're teaching them different things. They see the actions that we're doing. They're going to act just the way we do. Why is it that as we grow older, we say, oh my God, I sound like my dad. I sound like my mom. Oh my goodness, I'm doing things that my parents used to do. Guess what? Our children are picking up whatever we're doing. They're picking up the way that we interact with each other. One thing to consider is if I'm going to marry a man or a woman, you know, depending on who we are, if if I'm going to marry, like I marry my spouse, I got to realize my children are going to learn from her and they're going to be like her and they're going to learn the example from her. Is this who I want to be the mother of my children? Right, right. And, you know, it also, it's not, and it's not saying that the couple has to be exactly alike. I know a couple that they're pretty opposite. He's high energy. He doesn't sit still. And his wife is the calmest, just most relaxed, such loving person in the world. And I've known him long before he ever got married. And I always say she was sent by God because no one else could put up with him. And they just get along great. They make a wonderful team with their children, with their grandchild. They are a wonderful team. I think you're right. I, I think that the alikeness or the similarities is more compatibility. You know, you don't have to be identical. In fact, that might be kind of boring, but you become one in the sense that you're so compatible, even if you have different personalities. We Sometimes we say opposites attract. And when that happens, the, the real question is, are these two opposite personalities compatible? Well, let me ask you this. So you get married, you start having kids. And now as your kids get older, you notice that your son's going through all these issues. When did you first start noticing, or maybe looking back, when did he first start manifesting any concerns about being like his dad or having problems with alcohol or personality wise? It was in high school. And I remember he got to a point where he uh, did not want to go to school. And he told a teacher if he had to go, he was going to hurt himself. And so they called and I did put him in a facility. And then uh, you know, just for a short period of time so they could evaluate. And so we were still married. And um, no, I take that back. We weren't. But we, we both went. And he didn't want to hear about it, uh, my ex-husband. He, he just was, you're making, you're making this up. You're, you're seeing too much into it. And I think he didn't want to uh, recognize that his son was going through the same thing that he was going through. We're going to go to the break, but that was actually going to be my next question. How does the couple handle a crisis? Are we united? Do we have a united front? Or do we have different opinions? This is going to be very important. More when we come back from the break. All right. Welcome back to the clinic. You're listening to the Dr. Sandoval radio show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Today, we're talking about children, families, and how do we make good decisions uh, when we're dating, courting, to hopefully make good decisions when uh, we have our families together, have our children together, especially if 
our children end up making decisions that we are hopeful that they don't make or that we were hoping that they don't make. Let me read you a Bible verse here. Proverbs chapter one, verses eight through nine. Hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now that Bible verse sounds like it's speaking to a son or daughter saying to listen to your father's and mother's teaching. But as a parent, I listen to that and I think, boy, I better have a good teaching because if this is what my kids are going to listen to and the Lord is asking them to listen to me, I better be prepared to listen to them. Now, Denise, you were telling us before the break that when you first started noticing that your son had certain issues, he started wanting, you know, it seems like he was depressed. You said he didn't want to go to school or he said that he would end his life if he was going to go to school. You said that at that point, your husband said that this was really no big deal. You were making more out of it than what it was. Is that correct? Yes. And uh, we were I had already been divorced by then, and the doctor was recommending that he uh, go through counseling and he maybe perhaps uh, start on medication. And my ex-husband at that time did not want him to go into counseling. In fact, when we had recently divorced, the court suggested victims counseling for all the three children and myself, and I had already been in counseling Uh he didn't even know that, but I continued to go to counseling. And so I wanted the children in counseling, but he would tell them, don't say anything. Don't, he was afraid that it would make him look bad, my, my ex. And so um, I think sometimes parents are afraid for their children to, to be on medication because they think that's going to make things worse. But if you have a good uh, doctor they and they monitor the child, I think it's, I mean, if your child had cancer, when you want to do the right treatment, we can't look at mental illness any differently than we look at any other illness. Now, does your son remember that? Does he remember that time in his life? Uh, he doesn't mem- remember a lot. In fact, unfortunately, when he turned 18, he committed a, a, a crime and he was in prison for five years. And oftentimes he would call me collect and he would say, Mom, I had this dream, uh, like a daydream, a memory. And did this really happen? And he was recalling a lot of the abuse. Sure. sure. So um, he he does recall bits and pieces, as does my daughter. My youngest child does not remember any of it. And they told me at that time, it he would remember it when his body and was his mind was able to remember. Is that how it works, doctor? Where you? It, you know, it, it does, because a lot of times if we are going through trauma, the brain was gonna, the brain's going to shut it off. You hear about people dissociating or going to a different place in their mind when the trauma is so intense, uh, whether it be, say, a domestic violence type situation or a soldier at war, something that intends the brain t- can tend to shut off. And then later on in life, as, as we go through and we feel safer, if we're in a, in a position now where we don't feel like we're in that danger, the brain will start to, shall we say, open up those windows to those memories. Uh, I wouldn't call them repressed memories. I would just say they're always there. The mind just wasn't ready to uh, uh, deal with them or address with them or or get those details down. But let me ask you this. Do you feel that uh, you missed anything or that you should have gotten him help earlier and maybe he wouldn't have ended up in jail? I think it started early on when he was little, things that he would do. I can remember, and I, I was looking at old videos one day and saw that it was getting ready for a birthday party, and the neighbors were over, and he just, out of the blue, just hit a little boy so hard. Hmm. And I put him in time out, and then his father got upset with me that I did that. They're just playing, but it was, a, it was an aggressive act, and I think that started. Something there wasn't quite clicking. I don't know if counseling would have helped. I don't know, 
but it was something and you kind of miss these little signs along the way. And it's only until they're grown up, you think, oh, shoulda, coulda, woulda. You're right. And it's hard to say, you know, I wouldn't tell parents, oh, as soon as you see one incident like that, you know, that's guaranteed. You got to go to a counselor or something along those lines. Those are kids they are isolated incidents. But you're right. When we start looking at a pattern, if we start seeing it as a whole, if we see that this continues over time, then all of a sudden we have to ask ourselves, you know, is there something going on with my kid? Is there something further? And a lot of times when it comes to kids, usually when kids come into therapy or counseling, as we know, the majority of the time we got to ask ourselves, what's going on with the parents? Are they getting along? Are they are they creating a sense of space in the house? Right, and um, I can remember when he was uh, when he called once as an adult and said, uh, he said, um, "Do you know what bipolar is?" And I said, "Yes, I do." Do you? He said, "No," and I said, "What makes you ask me that?" He said, "Because someone uh, said that to me." And I remember when I was um, in high school, he was an extreme athlete in mm-hmm. all sports. Uh, two of my children were and uh someone something he had done on the on the basketball court somebody said what are you bipolar and he just kind of just ignored it and then as he was you know in prison and you have so much time to think and sure. reflect that came back to him and i said yes i they doctors thought you had that uh, but we never treated it and you know you you have to be careful what you say not to make the other parent look bad so you just kind of leave it alone. But I think he realized that as, as he's grown up, that that was an issue. So where do we find ourselves now? So we got married, you know, we look back and whether we decided that it was a good choice or bad choice or whatever happened in terms of our, our, our relationship, we have our kids and now our kids are making these decisions or we see that they might have some mental health issues. As a parent, how are you feeling? Well, um, I always find it difficult because, you know, they have the HEPA laws, which is that what they are? And yeah, that you laws, yeah, you can't find out information unless a person, yeah. any medical information, whether it be mental health or physical health, there nobody can divulge that to you unless the person themselves, be it your kid or the patient, right. uh, wants to share that with you. Right. So one of my children was very good about uh, putting me on everything. So I was able to go through the therapy and do everything with her, and uh, she got a lot, a lot healthier because of it. But the other one, not he did. He's very private, and recently he he had medication, and I even said, "What is it? You know, what are you taking that medication? Why? What did the doctor say?" He says it's private matter, so I have to respect that because he's an adult. So then you've got this. You have to add that relationship. No, you're not. You can't say, well, I'm your mother because that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> you know what well, I mean? And you know what? A lot of parents come to me and they say, Dr. Samuel, what am I supposed to do now? I feel guilty. I feel like I could have been the cause of my child's mental health I, or you know, any kind of ailments. I feel that maybe I contributed to them doing drugs. Maybe I did something. And a lot of things that I remind my, my patients about, or actually the parents of my patients about is... I want to, I, I tell them, look back at yourself and, and look at your own parents and how responsible are your parents for everything that you did, for choosing to get married, for, uh, you know, making whatever decisions you made, sneaking out of the house or doing something on your own. How responsible do you hold your parents? I always remind parents, you know, your kids, they're going to have their own free will too. Mm-hmm. Well, and um, I think sometimes when you, you're grown, like when I grew up, I didn't do a lot of uh, naughty things, you know. Sure. I was kind of a homebody. It was all about um, staying home, working on my music, working on my studies. Uh, I I thought even when I was young, I would become a sister, and so that when my children started to do things, I always gave them the benefit of the doubt, and I should have had my eyes wider, 
you know, they should have been wide open. Sure. I mean, and what I always tell parents is don't under, one, don't ever stop being a parent. So don't underestimate if your parents, if your kids feel annoyed by you because you're telling them what to do or you're giving them advice, you know, you don't want to be overbearing either. But every once in a while, dropping a little nugget of advice, a little seed from the Bible, a little Bible verse or something, this, these are things that stick with us. These are some things that we remember from our parents. I always tell uh, all the parents out there, you know, don't forget that your responsibility for your children, even after they're born and out of the house, you st- we still have to pray for them. We have faith that God is still guiding them and our responsibility is still to pray for them and make sure that, you know, we drop little nuggets of advice, maybe remind, ask them if they're still going to church or what it is that they're doing in the faith. Absolutely. Actually, my older one, I heard him once tell his younger brother, if if I, if we would just have listened to mom about everything, none of us would have gotten into trouble, which is true. But I do a lot of things that they don't even realize. I mean, I'm always, now that the year of St. Joseph, you know, they have the litany of St. Joseph, and that's a good thing to pray. He's the, you know... Uh, he goes after those demons for us. Absolutely. And when you're dealing with a child that, with mental illness, uh, I believe in the sacramentals of, of holy water, of, of blessed salts, always blessing, because we do have, um, God gives us dominion over our children, and we have to claim that. And, and sometimes it's not easy, but we, you know, it makes us uncomfortable. We have to do what we have to do. Absolutely. I think that we can never stop being a parent. I always like to remind my parents, uh, the parents too, encourage your kid to get that mental health. Be a support there. If they need to say something, be a listening ear. But we also don't want to fall into the trap of enabling them because sometimes we feel like we have to do everything for them. Oh my gosh, if I don't do this, they're not going to be able to get up and get dressed. We have to remember also that they have to put in of their part. But you're absolutely right. Saying the prayers, making sure that we have exercise, salt, things of that nature. Uh, those are very important. There's a reading here from Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 54, 13. All your children shall be taught by the Lord and great shall be the peace of your children. I remember that because I like that reading when it says that they, they're still being taught by the Lord. I got to remember that the God spoke to me as I was growing up and as I still grow up, hopefully. And a lot of what I learned, we have to remember with the eyes of faith, God is still guiding us. God will be guiding our children too. We are there to, to help support them as God is teaching them. Right. That I think another important thing for parents to nurture is the relationship bet- uh, among your children. Because I always tell my, my children, I'm not going to be around for forever. And eventually it's just going to be all of you together. So you need to learn to rely on each other. And I know when um, we lost my, my father and then we lost my mother, my brother and I are still very close. We're 2,000 miles away, but we're very close to each other. And we do have each other. And, you know, he knows I'm always there for him and, and he's always been there for me. So we have to nurture that. And I know it's hard sometimes with children because they have that rivalry and they want your attention. But if you let them each know that they are each special in their own way and that they have to respect each other, that goes a long way, especially when they become adults. And I think that that's really what comes down to being a family. You know, we can't forget that while they're getting along as they're growing up, you're absolutely right. We have to nurture not only other siblings, but they have a, by being siblings, they have a different kind of friendship. They might have rivalries. They might have different personalities, but boy, when times get tough, when, when the rubber hits the road, that's who they can rely on. If you can't rely on your, on your siblings, who are you going to have? 
Right. Absolutely. So if you instill that, because, you know, friends are great. I have wonderful friends, but there's something about your, your, your family that goes above and beyond. You know, they'll always be there for you. Well, Denise, I want to say thank you so much for being here, for sharing your story, for really letting us have a, a lively conversation about family and children. And to all of our, our listeners, don't forget what I want you to think about first is remind your children that who they pick as a spouse is really going to be who they're forming a family with. Once they do have children, remind them the responsibility never ends. And we know that as parents, we want to instill that faith in our children. And the lastly, don't forget to rely on the Lord. Don't forget to put our faith in God as parents, because we got to remember that our children are going to do what they're going to do as well. And God is still guiding them, even if we're not there. Thank you so much for listening to the Dr. Sandoval Show here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. As always, I will be praying for you during the week, and hopefully uh, you will be praying for us as well. Feel free to give us a call if you guys ever have any questions, any thoughts on future shows. And again, thank you so much, Denise, for joining us today. 